Why, hello there. You are listening to the Aesthetic Vibes podcast and I'm your host, Amy. This is the podcast where we only put out aesthetic vibes. There are too many bad vibes in the universe, so this podcast is dedicated to turning that around and spreading all the positivity. This podcast will focus on all types of relevant and irrelevant topics. Sometimes we dive into the deep and meaningful, and other times they're completely meaningless. But one thing's for sure, you will walk away with a really aesthetic vibe. And I hope I can empower you to build a really aesthetic life. Welcome to today's episode, where once again, we're venturing into the spooky. Today, I'm going to talk about some of the most haunted things that exist. And then I'll close with a little spooky story that has happened to me. Okay, let's do this. We start with the digits of doom. So in 2010, the mobile phone number or cell phone number 0888888888 was suspended, never to be used again, as every single person who'd been assigned to the number had mysteriously died. The first owner was former CEO of Bulgarian mobile phone company Mobitel, who died in 2001 of cancer at 48 years old. Following this, the number went to the Bulgarian mafia boss, who was gunned down in 2003 by an assassin in Netherlands during a trip. He was shot while eating out. The number then went to a crooked businessman who was shot outside an Indian restaurant in Bulgaria. The businessman had been running a cocaine trafficking operation before his death. Since this point in time, the number has been made dormant. Callers who place a call to this phone number receive the message of this number is outside of network coverage. Do we believe that a phone number can be cursed or carry bad intentions? I mean, the only individual who didn't sound dodgy in that case was the CEO of the mobile phone company. But the other dudes sound dodgy as hell. So what are we dealing with here? Is this cursed? Is this just a a weird coincidence? The Dybbuk Box. In 2001, Kevin Manis was visiting a local garage sale looking for items to restore and sell in his furniture business. He ventured into a particular sale and saw a wine cabinet. Thinking, that's eh, a pretty good find, he purchased it. On the way out, the seller's granddaughter commented, 
I see you bought the Dybbuk box. Kevin had never heard the term Dybbuk, really wasn't familiar with the item. The granddaughter told him her grandmother had always kept it shut and out of reach because there was a Dybbuk living inside it. So a Dybbuk is said to be an evil or restless spirit. The seller told Kevin to never open it or bad things would happen. Kevin took the box back to his shop with plans to restore it and to gift it to his mother for her birthday. Kevin decided to open the box, as you do. I mean, to be fair, would I open it? Probably. (laughs) I'd probably be thinking, is this a load of shit? What's actually inside this thing? Mind you, what are you meant to do with a wine cabinet you can't open? Like, what the hell? It just sits there. It's just a box sitting there. (laughs) It's just so random. So on opening the cabinet, he found a few weird things. So two US pennies dated 1925 and 1928, two locks of hair, a dried rosebud, a candlestick holder, a gold wine cup, a granite sculpture, which had the inscription Shalom, and an important prayer, allegedly, that was carved on the back of the cabinet. So the story goes, Kevin ended up giving the box to his mother. She opens the box, feels a cold breeze, and then has a stroke. Luckily, she survived. But over the next two years, mysterious events continued to happen around Kevin. His sister apparently never really felt comfortable around the box because the doors had the tendency to open and close on their own. His brother and sister-in-law complained of odd smells coming from the box, such as cat urine and jasmine. On cat urine, that is the worst smell possible. Um, We've got a cat, he lives inside. So cat urine is like the worst. We are constantly changing the litter box because that smell kind of gets up in your house and can become a bit dormant. So um, yuck. Allegedly, Kevin and all of his siblings suffered from the same reoccurring nightmares. Um, That being an old woman with sunken eyes appearing. Apparently, while the cabinet was in Kevin's store, one of the workers had a brother come in to visit. He accidentally knocked the cabinet off the shelf and then died very shortly after from suicide. A few years later, the worker himself took his own life. Kevin, in all of his craftiness, tried to pass the cabinet on to a a girlfriend um, at the time. She refused. Uh, He kept pushing it on her. I think she accepted and then got it to her house uh, and was like, nah, nah, bro, you can have this back and forced him to take it back. Kevin then started, after after he received the box back, Kevin then started seeing shadows in his peripheral vision. I mean, I do that all the time. To be fair, I'm always seeing stuff. Um, You just kind of get used to it, I guess. Whether it's true or not, I don't know. So in 2003, Kevin's done. He goes, you know what? I'm going to get rid of this piece of shit. I'm going to sell it on eBay, as we all do. (laughs) So the box ended up on eBay. Um, It was in, it was kind of passed around for a while, I believe. However, in 2011, it ended up with a man named Jason. Um, He's written an entire book on the box. 
So in his book, he details um, all of the incidents he experienced with the box. So he reports things like bleeding eyes, uh, being choked, pass, reoccurring dreams of a creepy old woman with sunken eyes. So in the end, Jason ended up sealing and burying the box in Missouri. Um, he didn't tell anyone of its location. He ends up digging up the box for Zach Baggins. I think a lot of people who are into the spooky would know uh, Zach Baggins as a collector of spooky items, has his own TV show, etc., etc. He kind of pops up um, in a few of these different spooky stories as a collector of these items. Um, so uh, he allegedly sold it to Zach uh, for an undisclosed amount. So it's led to believe that, you know, it was quite a sizable um, sale. It was quite a sizable price that Jason actually received for the box. Zach has a haunted museum um, that he tours some of the world's most haunted objects. And apparently the box is part of that tour. Um, so an episode was shot in 2020 of Zach's show where he opened the box and allegedly heard it say the name Kevin and then the word evil um, and then a child's voice was heard. So apparently the show at the time it was filming captured a figure that manifested inside the Dybbuk box. Probably the most commonly known part of this episode was where Zach had his hand on the box and he was showing the musician Post Malone around this haunted um, tour and Post Malone touched Zach's shoulder while Zach's hand remained on the box. Um, so the media kind of flew into this flurry of news trying to now determine whether Post Malone was now cursed because... He touched Zach, Zach touched the box. Did the energy kind of radiate through? Could be a bit of a stretch. However, to make matters more questionable, there were a couple of events that occurred for Post Malone. So um, directly after this, his private plane was forced to make an emergency landing. Um, his home was broken into and he was involved in a car accident. So the the whole story around the Dybbuk box, there's a lot of controversy around it. Um, Kevin's apparently stepped out into the media. Um, there's stories around whether he's, you know, concocted this. And in some instances he says, oh, I've, I've made up parts of the story, but other parts are true. However, the second owner, Jason, swears black and blue that everything that he's reported in his book is 100% factual. Um, so the two, there's a little bit of a <laughs> back and forth online when you start to look through some of the different articles on this box, um, I get the uh, distinct impression they don't like each other very much. <laughs> uh, there's been movies created, um, and then Dybbuk boxes became super, super popular, and um, people were creating them and selling them on eBay for like $20. So these little replicas of them. So, I mean, th there's a lot of stories around, is this box cursed? Um, or, or are there just some weird coincidences occurring around the same time? For me, one thing I know is I'm absolutely intrigued. I spent hours researching this thing. Um, I don't know what's real, what's fake. Uh, I'd really love to see the box myself in person. I believe it's one of those can't-touch items that are locked in like a case like Annabelle. Um, but truly, truly fascinating nonetheless. I'd love, I'd absolutely love to go see it.
So we're going to talk about the Myrtles Plantation. So this is known to be one of the most haunted houses in America. The Myrtles Plantation was built in 1794 and it's been said to be the location of at least 10 murders. So the most famous story and probably the most interesting um, is the haunting of Chloe. So allegedly back hundreds of years ago, Chloe was one of the house slaves to uh, Mr. and Mrs. Clark Woodruff. So the story goes that Chloe was often subjected to abuse. Um, and in an attempt to determine what she was doing wrong um, and identifying the behavior that she needed to change, she started actually uh, listening into the Woodruff's conversations. Uh, so one day she was actually caught eavesdropping. Um, and as punishment, the Woodruffs cut her ears off, forcing her to have disfigurement for the rest of her life. As a, as a reminder um, of what she'd done, imposing on their conversations. At the demands of the Woodruffs, she was told to cover her ears with a green turban. After this, Chloe decided it was time to get revenge. So she planned to actually poison Mrs. Woodruff and the children. Um, the rumour is that she wanted to make the family sick and then kind of swoop in and nurse them back to health. Uh, however, she kind of fucked up and the dose was lethal. So word spread fast um, about what Chloe had done. And apparently other slaves in the area were concerned that they would be punished or implicated in this crime. So they took matters into their own hands and they decided to hang her. Once she was deceased, um, they weighed her body down with rocks and they threw her into the Mississippi River. A few years down the road, the plantation was sold to a man and his family. Um, he had five children um, and they all ended up passing away on the plantation from tuberculosis. The home was later passed on to a, a surviving daughter and her husband, the Winters. Mr. Winters taught at Sunday school. So the story goes one day he's teaching and an unknown man rides up on a horse yelling uh, outside that he needs to see him. So as soon as Mr. Winters runs outside, the man on the horse shoots him at point blank range on the front porch. He allegedly staggers back into the house um, on the verge of dying and he staggers back up the staircase and uh, dies next to his wife. So it's claimed that footsteps can be heard in the house, walking up the stairs and climbing to the seventh step where he died. So it's also claimed that three soldiers were killed in the house after they broke in and attempted to rob the house. They were apparently shot in the parlour, uh, which left bloodstains on the floor that could never be removed. Apparently the paranormal activity became more noticeable once it was purchased by the Myers family in the 1970s. So guests would report seeing a young girl wearing a green turban walking around the property. Inside the home, in the grand hallway, is an antique mirror. Visitors to the house report seeing the Woodruff's children in the mirror near the room where they were poisoned. Um, it's also been noted that any time the mirror is moved or cleaned, handprints appear on the mirror. I saw a couple of images with these handprints um, and they look almost like they're cold handprints on a warm surface. Um, I mean, it's hard. How 
can we actually trust that people aren't editing photos and putting these details in? No, but, you know, for the sake of it, we'll give it, we'll give it the benefit of the doubt, right? And apparently there were some additional deaths in the house due to yellow fever. So one of the owners of the plantation claims that she encountered a ghost in a green turban in 1987. So she claims that she was asleep in the downstairs bedroom when she was awakened by a black woman wearing a green turban and a long dress. She stood beside the bed with a candle in her hand. The woman screamed, jumped under the covers, (laughs) which I think we'd all do. Just on that, I'm pretty confident that jumping under the covers is not going to protect us if there's something evil in the room, whether that be human or entity. (laughs) But I don't know what it is. We all think that if we just jump under the covers, we'll be safe. So anyway, she does exactly that. She jumps under the covers thinking, I'll be safe here. Um, Apparently, she she slowly pulls the covers down uh, and she's looking and she can still see the woman. So she actually reaches out to touch her and as she's reaching out, the woman disappears. There's been lots of other reports of spirits in the house, um, children being seen, playing games. Apparently, there's a young girl with long curly hair and she wears an ankle length dress and she hangs around outside the window of the games room. She has a tendency to cup her hands and looks through the window's glass. Um, Apparently the grand piano plays by itself. Uh, It plays the same chord over and over again, which is absolutely frustrating (laughs) as a piano player. That is so annoying to listen to. Um, And then when someone steps into the room to investigate where's this sound coming from, the music stops. However, when they leave, it starts again. So part of a mini-series was actually filmed on the plantation uh, called The Long Hot Summer. Uh, Apparently it was a remake of a movie. Uh, Haven't seen it myself, don't know much about it. Anyway, one day the crew uh, were moving furniture in the game room and the dining room for filming. Um, So they they did that, they filmed, and then they left. Um, Apparently when they returned, all the furniture had actually been moved back into its rightful place. And apparently this happened several times. So what do we think? Haunted location? Possibly. Um, It's now a bed and breakfast. So if you're feeling bored and you want to go check it out, you actually can. Uh, Would I want to visit? Yes, absolutely yes. Um, uh, Look, some of the stories have been debunked. Um, some of it's, you know, a kind of a fabrication to make things sound spookier than what they are. Um, but apparently, you know, visitors stay in the bed and breakfast, guests stay, and they're seeing and feeling things. Um, and it's quite common. I don't know. What do you think? James Dean's Porsche. So while filming Rebel Without a Cause in 1955, James Dean purchased a Porsche S50 Spider, and he called it Little Bastard. <laughs> Just so random. So James was on his way to race a week later. Apparently the, the history goes that he used to like racing his cars, um, so he was quite used to it. He apparently was a really crappy driver, though, and would use 
accelerator and no braking. So he, you know, he wasn't the safest of drivers. Uh, on the 30th of September 1955, he was traveling with a friend in the car. They're driving about 85 miles an hour and he hit another car in a head-on accident. And the other car was a Ford sedan. Apparently, James's car flipped in the air and landed on its back with the car pinning James inside and he had a broken neck. He was killed pretty much instantly on impact. Uh, photos from the accident show this completely mangled beyond recognition car. It basically folded like a tin can. So a week before the accident, um, actor Alec Guinness apparently claimed to have a premonition that James Dean would be in an accident of this nature and die. So a man purchased the car from James's family um, and when it was being loaded into his shop, it fell on a mechanic breaking both of his legs. The car was then sold um, to another man who was killed driving it when he hit a tree. So the car was then used to display safety demonstrations and it fell off a stand and broke a teenager's hip. There's also stories that there was a thief who broke his arm while trying to steal the car's steering wheel and another mechanic who broke another leg when the door fell off the car on him. Apparently in March 1959, the car burst into random flames. Like it just went up in flames for no apparent reason. Uh, apparently the damage was minor though, so make of that what you will. <laughs> so the engine transmission and the suspension system, I have no idea what either of those are, uh, were put into two different race cars, both of which crashed in the same race. Only one of the drivers surviving. The tyres were put onto a different vehicle that apparently blew out and caused an accident. So the car, well, what was remaining of the car and its parts, eventually disappeared in 1960. The, so the car's frame disappeared from a locked container. Uh, so a decade's worth of tips had come in. No one has ever been able to locate it. However, it's stated that recently a tip came in that actually provides the location of the car. Um, so the car has been recalled. It is in possession now of police um, in a secret location while the investigators sort out what's occurred and the legalities are worked through. What do we think? A cursed car? A string of unfortunate events? I don't know. That's a lot, right? There's a lot of people being injured. But on the same token, I feel like if you're around cars, you're working on them, there are going to be quite a few injuries. I find all the car accidents and like the random flames being very odd, um, but I'm glad they've located it. I mean, it was missing for what, 50, 60, 70 years? <laughs> it's ridiculous. And it got stolen from a locked container. Come on come on the detective work could have been better there i'm like i'm gonna go out on a limb and say how many people had keys to the container come on anyway uh interesting story nonetheless very tragic because i think for james dean he was on the rise at this point um he was in the midst of a few hit movies that were really building his profile so quite disappointing uh, for him and upsetting for his family As with every podcast, 
we end on a lighter note. Except it'll be a little spookier than usual. I'm going to tell you a little story. All true, all factual. Going back when I was in year 12, so I would have been between the ages of 17 and 18. There was a period of time I actually stayed with some family friends in their house. And I was going to be staying with them for a few months. I moved into their house for, I think it was about three months in total. And the house, if I can describe it, was broken into two parts. So there was the new part of the house, which is about 90% of the house. Um, And that was all at the front. So that was uh, multiple bedrooms, uh, a lounge area, a bathroom, a kitchen, um, a dining area. And all of that was brand new. And it backed onto a smaller, older part of the house, which they decided to keep. And in this smaller, um, outer piece of the house was a bedroom, a bathroom, and the laundry. So I was told um, that the back area of the house, in the bedroom and with the attached bathroom, would give me the the privacy that I desired. Um, And I'd also be most comfortable there because it was kind of like self-contained. It was its own little space. So I arrived with my items and moved into the room. I I don't think I had a lot. I think I had, you know, just some clothes, shoes, a bit of makeup. I had my stereo, um, some CDs. So nothing major, just kind of a few boxes of stuff. I went just on... Uh, about normal life, going to school. I used to walk to and from school every day. Uh, There was a golf course that I used to cut through. Um, I was really into music and I still am, but um, I would listen to a lot of music on this little stereo that I had and you'd pop the top and then click the CD in, pull the top down. So a few weeks into staying there, I started to feel a, a really weird presence in the room. I often felt there was someone staring at me or I wasn't completely alone. I also had some um, some issues with the stereo turning on and off. But I mean, things like that, you kind of go, righto, is this something with the electrical uh, or is it something wrong with the stereo itself? I'm in the older part of the house. It could just be sketchiness, right? I started having some other kind of weird occurrences as well. So random things moving. The lights, the, the ceiling light kept flickering in and out. I had a touch lamp at the time and the touch lamp would change levels. I think in the 90s, you, I don't know if anyone remembers those um, weird looking touch lamps. You'd touch it once and it would go on twice it'd be like medium light and then third it would be bright light so that would go on and off but I mean with those things a change in temperature in the air can turn them you kind of can explain some of this stuff away Um, I also saw the doors the door to the bedroom was opening and closing on its own a fair bit or kind of rocking backwards and forwards and I started hearing a male's voice calling out a male's name Uh, Probably the most notable was one night I was asleep in the bed. Um, At this point, I'd started sleeping with the touch lamp on because things just didn't feel right. And I don't know what it is about having a light on, but there's a sense of comfort as opposed to laying there in the dark. Um, I felt someone sit on the bed next to me because I felt the whole side of the bed shift. So um, it was like a little double bed, double 
mattress bed and somebody of you know substantial weight sat on the side of the bed and the bed kind of moved to that side I sleep with an eye mask on so I pulled my eye mask up sat up uh, looked around was looking at the bed I could see that it was tilted towards one side and I was like what the hell so I got out of the bed uh, went and turned the big light on and kind of looked around I'm like what what is going on here looked at the bed the bed was back to normal so I was like well what do you do so later that same night I actually woke up to someone that was shaking me and I woke up and it's one of those things again you go was I dreaming this you know I woke up looked around I'm like what the hell's going on here at this stage I was kind of starting to get creeped out I say kind of because I got a pretty thick skin with this stuff. It doesn't concern me too much, but when someone's kind of shaking me, uh, please keep your hands to yourself. <laughs> like keep your hands to your damn self. I ended up going back to the house as little as possible. I'd spend time at friends' houses. Um, I really just didn't want much to do with staying out there. It just didn't feel right. And I didn't feel right complaining to the people that own the house because they were kind enough to let me stay so you know you, you kind of can't you know go and say look you know I think there's something wrong with your house um you know sort it out whatever you'd say to them because you know they're through the kindness of their heart letting you stay there so I kind of just you know ignored it kept it locked down stayed there as little as possible and just went on with my life I ended up being able to move to a new house. So I started to pack up my things um, and it was a share house and I was getting ready to move there. It was around the time of me packing and getting ready to leave that I started experiencing sleep paralysis. I don't know if everyone knows what that is, uh, but ultimately you are asleep, but you feel like you're awake and you're laying in the bed and you might be hearing or seeing something and you can't move. Um, so it's it can be really, really scary. And a lot of people say that they see things in the corner of the rooms or they hear voices. Um, and so about that time, that started happening to me a lot. I still suffer from that to date. So that's, you know, 20 years ago for me. I packed all my stuff I'm ready to go. I'm out of here. Uh, I'm leaving the house. And I thought, you know what? I think it's safe now to say something. Um, and I'll just let them know that, you know, things were a little bit odd um, and some of the weird things that were happening in the back end of the house. So, you know, I explained everything. And the woman uh, who owned the house was like, oh, yeah, yeah. We, we've always had uh, small issues like that at that back side of the house, the back end of the house. I'm like, oh, okay. She's, yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's likely because of the previous owner. Um, and I'm like, oh, okay, you know, what's the, like, what's the previous owner? She's like, yeah, he hung himself in that room. And I'm like, are you fucking joking me? So you've had these issues for a long time. He hung himself in the bedroom I'm sleeping in. There's a dude calling out another dude's name. There's someone sitting on a bed shaking me to wake me up. He didn't even have the decency to tell me, oh, oh yeah, there's some weird stuff that happens in that back end of the house. Needless to say, grabbed my shit, left, never went back. Well, that's a wrap. I really hope you enjoyed 
the spooky part three. Uh, I hope you enjoyed my little story about my little experience. Uh, When I was younger, I actually lived in a haunted house. So I'm going to dedicate an entire episode to talking about the really crazy experiences we had there. Join me next episode when I do a true crime deep dive. This will be a multiple part series that I do on a pretty regular basis. I'm a lover of true crime, so I want to be able to conduct those deep dives on some of the cases. And I'll also talk about some things that just don't age. In the meantime, let's hang out on social media. Hit me up at Aesthetic Vibes Pod or drop me an email at Aesthetic Vibes Podcast at Outlook.com. Until next time, bye! Oh,